Grace and peace to you from God, our Father, and our Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave his life to save us. Dear Christian friends, we are, are heading towards the finish line of the season of Lent, right? Over, over halfway, the, the finish line is in the, in the distance. We can see it coming on Good Friday. And this morning, as we, as we keep going through the season of Lent, we come to a, well, let's be honest, it's, it's a pretty difficult topic. I mean, think about it for a moment. Who of you know somebody that would admit that they're arrogant? You got to be pretty arrogant to admit you're arrogant, right? I mean, you probably know somebody that you think is arrogant, but I don't know if they have the same opinion of themselves. If it's a coworker, maybe they just think, you know, yeah, I'm really good at my job. And that's actually the biggest hurdle, one of the biggest challenges when it comes to this idea of arrogance, whether it's spiritual or otherwise. And it's the first part of our, our first takeaway this morning, that arrogance is a difficult topic because it isn't easy to recognize arrogance in myself. And if it's not easy to recognize it in myself, well, I need somebody to help me, right? I need someone to, to help me see that, to warn me, to tell me that I'm arrogant. And approximately 0% of the population likes to be told they're arrogant. And that's why the second part of that takeaway is that I don't like to be told I'm arrogant. Now, obviously, this applies to to general arrogance, right? Our, our entire lives. But it also specifically applies to spiritual arrogance, to, to the danger for our souls, for our faith. So how can we give up something that is really hard to self-identify and that we generally don't like people to tell us about? It's tricky, isn't it? Which is why it's, it's difficult, but it's exceedingly important. So this morning, Jesus is going to do that very thing. Now, the words we're about to take a look at take place three days before Jesus died. So it's Tuesday of Holy Week, what we sometimes call Holy Week, the, the week of Jesus' suffering, death, and resurrection. It's that Tuesday, and Jesus is in the temple, and he had, a crowd had gathered around him, and he was teaching and the Bible says he was telling them the good news, right? The good news that, that God had sent a Savior, that God forgives sins apart from what we do, that God has a plan to save people. Except there were some people that didn't like that. The, the Jewish leadership came into the temple courts where Jesus was teaching, and, and the crowd had gathered around him, and they said, whoa, 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 mister, who do you think you are? Who do you think you are that you can be here and be teaching and preaching? By what authority do you have to tell people this message? These guys needed to be, to be warned, didn't they? They needed somebody to, to help them see, to call them out and help them see their, their arrogance. And I'll be honest, aren't we kind of tempted to go, yeah, Jesus, go get them. 
you realize that that would actually be arrogant? And that's why as we listen to Jesus' warning this morning, as we listen to him warn those Jewish leaders, it's important to recognize the same warning applies just as equally to you and to me today. So this morning we read from Luke chapter 20, beginning at verse 9. He, Jesus, went on to tell the people this parable. A man planted a vineyard. He rented it to some farmers, and he went away for a long time. At harvest time, he sent a servant to the tenants so that they would give him some of the fruit of the vineyard. But the tenants beat him and sent him away empty-handed. He sent another servant. But they also beat and treated him, they also beat and treated shamefully and sent him away empty-handed. He sent still a third, and they wounded him and threw him out. Then the owner of the vineyard said, What shall I do? I'll send my son, whom I love. Perhaps they will respect him. But when the tenants saw him, they talked the matter over. This is the heir, they said. Let's kill him, and the inheritance will be ours. So they threw him out of the vineyard and killed him. What then will the owner of the vineyard do to them? He will come and kill those tenants and give the vineyard to others. When the people heard this, they said, God forbid. And Jesus looked directly at them and asked, Then what's the meaning of that which is written? The stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. Everyone who falls on that stone will be broken to pieces. Anyone on whom it falls will be crushed. The teachers of the law and the chief priests looked for a way to arrest him immediately because they knew that he had spoken this parable against them, but they were afraid of the people. So Jesus speaks a warning, right? A warning to a group of people that desperately and definitely needed to hear it then and now. But it's important to keep one piece of information on the front of our minds as we listen to this warning. And that's really what a warning is all about. It's our second takeaway, that warnings serve a good purpose. The purpose is to keep something bad from happening. But it only works when I listen. Let me give you an example. I saw a commercial the other night for uh, some medication to help you sleep. And as the, the soothing lullaby music was playing in the background and, and this lady's voice that was telling you all of what this medication can do and it will help you fall asleep quicker and help you stay asleep longer. And some people who have taken this medication have experienced swelling of the throat and tongue. And because this happens while you're sleeping, you may choke and die. <laughs> what? Did I just hear that? Literally, that's how the commercial went. And it just is crazy because the whole point of what they were trying to do with this soothing music and the well-trained actor's voice was to help you miss the warning, which completely defeats the purpose of a warning. That's why Jesus' warning this morning is it's very loving. He speaks from a heart of genuine care an eternal love for people's souls, but it is not subtle and it is not soothing. He tells a story that he hopes gets, gets across very clearly to a whole lot of people. 
It's a story that contains a warning. It's the story of a man who owns a vineyard, right? But he doesn't feel like taking care of it, of, of tending to this vineyard on his own. He wants to travel, and so he rents it out to some farmers and heads off. And he doesn't demand rent up front, but when the harvest comes in, then you give me a portion of the fruit, a, a part of the crop. And so harvest time comes around, and he sends one of his workers, one of his representatives, and each time those farmers, those tenants, treat his representative worse and worse. The first time, they, they beat him and throw him out and send him on his way empty-handed without the fruit. The second time, they beat him and dishonor him. They humiliate him and send him on his way empty-handed without the fruit. The third time, they wound him. Literally, they traumatize him. And they throw him out of the vineyard. So what would you do? I mean, you know, the first time, okay, maybe we can chalk it up to a misunderstanding. Maybe they didn't realize that, like, payment was due. Second time, well, I guess, you know, we're, we're people of second chances. Third time, okay, that's it. I've had it. These guys are in, are in breach of contract, right? They're tenants. I own this property. So what would you do? Serve them with an eviction notice? Have them arrested for beating up your, your servants, your workers? Would you go in and, and take the fruit by force? Well, who here, knowing the circumstances, knowing what had happened before, would send their own child? Nobody here would, right? In fact, nobody would do that because they knew what had happened in the past. No one would send the child they love to these wicked people who have no respect or care. See, Jesus is warning here about spiritual arrogance and specifically spiritual arrogance that rejects God's word. God, throughout the history of his people, had sent messengers with his word, right? And those messengers had a purpose to warn God's people about the dangers of spiritual arrogance, of, of idolatry, right? Worshiping some other god, about this self-righteousness, about thinking that we're better, that we, we really don't sin less, that we're special because God loves us, that, that we're not as bad as those people, God wanted his people to watch out for those dangers, to identify them and to trust him for forgiveness rather than trusting in themselves for not sinning quite so much. So God sent messengers over and over and over, right up until, right up until Jesus with John the Baptist, right? And, and how were those messengers treated? Well, Elijah, there were plenty of times where he was on the run for his life. There was a plot to kill Jeremiah. John the Baptist was hated by the Jewish leaders. He was eventually imprisoned and finally beheaded. And the list goes on and on and on. And Jesus' warning to us, still the same, isn't it? Be careful. Listen, I send 
my message to you, God says. I send my message to you through the word and through messengers. And make sure you listen to it. And we go, oh, good. Yeah, we will. Don't worry, God. Yeah, yep, yep, got this. Because we would never, ever, ever stay away from church because of, because of something we've done wrong or because of our sin, would we? We would never hurt someone who, who came to us out of love and expressed concern for our well-being, for our soul. Would we? We would never lash out and be angry because somebody was telling us what God says. Would we? Yeah, we would. And that's why Jesus warns, this very warning is for you and for me. Because we are tempted to do the same thing, right? When somebody comes to you and says, hey, I know that you may not even be aware of this, but this is what God says and this is what it looks like you're doing. And what's our temptation? The neck hairs bristle and we get our back up and we go on the defensive and I'm going to hurt, right? And Jesus says, whoa, 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 take it down. Listen to what God's word says. See, because God's purpose in this whole thing was to, to receive some fruit, right? That's why he sent that's why he sent his representatives. And we get that. John the Baptist had, had preached a message of repentance, and part of that message was to produce fruit in keeping, in line with that repentance. God sends his messengers with his word so that when we are out of line, when we have strayed from God's path, that we hear his word and say, Lord, forgive me, and go back to where God wants us. That's what God desires. That's what repentance is. That's actually what our, second, our third takeaway is this morning. That God wants my heart to be sorry for sin. To trust in him for forgiveness and then to sincerely want to live the way he commands. That's the fruit that God is looking for. And here's the thing, it's not fruit that you or I can judge perfectly, can we? Because I can't see your heart and, and you can't see mine. But God can. He knows. He knows when there's fruit growing and being produced. And he knows when there is arrogance. I don't want to hear that. Rejection. And God then repeatedly, right, sends his word to us through his messengers. And it's funny because when we're in the moment, when we're stuck in a sin... When we've done something that we know is wrong and we really don't want to talk about it, it doesn't matter how many times God sends his messenger, what do we, what do we think? Ugh, again. I don't want to hear this again. What we fail to understand is God is loving when he does that. He's coming to you and to me to call us out of that arrogant mindset that's perfectly comfortable with where we are in the moment and is totally ignorant of the spiritual danger. That's why Jesus spoke this warning. That's why he spoke this warning about rejecting God's word and, and really about rejecting him. See, we might, be thinking it, we might think it would be crazy for that landowner to send, to 
send his own son. But understand, God wasn't naive. God had a right to expect fruit, to expect change. Uh, change in our hearts that, uh, that changes from being comfortable with sin to, to hating it, to being sorry for it, to, to wanting to live for God. So the landlord sends his dearly loved son, right? How did the tenants respond? Well, it wasn't like when the, the son got there and the tenants, they got into an argument and it kind of boiled over. Oh no, they saw him coming and they go, hey, let's figure this out. Let's put together a plan. And we're going to kill him. And we're going to take his inheritance. I mean, that's your plan. That's That's stupid. Do you honestly think, first of all, that that's going to work? Secondly, that you're going to get the inheritance? You might kill the son, but you're not getting what the landlord owns. And third, do you think the landlord's just not going to care? That is a ridiculously foolish plan. And that's what Jesus says in our text. What then will the owner of the vineyard do to them? He will come and kill those tenants. And give the vineyard to others. God isn't just going to be like, oh, okay. You reject me. Oh, okay. No, he's going to keep coming and coming and coming until finally one day he's going to come on judgment day. And for all those that have rejected him up until that point, that day is not going to be a day of joy. See, God is gracious. God is patient. The landlord is is both of those things. He repeatedly sent representatives. He even sent his own son. But he's not some tottering old fool in heaven who's sitting on his rocking chair and, and sipping mint juleps and has no idea of what's going on here in the world, of what you are doing, what's in your heart. Oh, he's perfectly aware of all of it. And so while he is patient and he is grace-filled and loving and kind, and keeps sending his messengers and his message to you to lead you back, there will come a day when he will say, you wanted nothing to do with me. And so I'm giving you your wish for eternity. Jesus told this story two days before his arrest. But it was also two days after that day we call Palm Sunday when Jesus had ridden into Jerusalem and the crowds had hailed him, recognized him as the Savior, as the King, and they had praised him and acclaimed him. And, and one of the Bible verses they had used is to, to praise him was from Psalm 118. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. We'll hear it next Sunday. So what Jesus did is he takes the same Psalm that everybody agreed was about the promised Messiah, the promised Savior. And he says, hey, I want you guys to understand this. I want you to understand who I am in this story. And he quotes from Psalm 118. The same Psalm, just three verses earlier, from what had been shouted by the crowds about Jesus, about him as the Savior. And he says the words that are quoted in our text. The stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. See, Jesus wanted everybody listening that day, everybody listening today to understand clearly Jesus is the Savior. He is 
that cornerstone. He is the son in this parable. He is the son of God. And that's why he speaks this very clear warning. So you remember the purpose of a warning? It's a good purpose, right? It's to prevent something bad from happening. And so Jesus wants us to not just hear the words, but to listen to them, to take them to heart, to live them, to obey them. Now it's clear that there were some that day who did not. That rejected what Jesus said. The, the teachers of the law, the chief priests, they, they understood who Jesus was talking about and what Jesus was talking about, but they wanted nothing to do with it. In their arrogance, all they could see was this guy who's trying to tell us something else. And they wanted nothing to do with him. What's amazing is that God sent his own son to warn them who would in two days arrest him and shout, crucify him, crucify him. And he sent his own son and Jesus warns them on this occasion not to spare his own life, but to make them aware, to show them the danger of their spiritual arrogance, to hold out one more time the hope of forgiveness. Because he didn't want them to end up, as he says, will eventually happen for all who do not repent, to end up on judgment day with the devil. Thankfully, there were also some, though, that heard what Jesus said and they said, God forbid, right? The, their words were, they were saying, yeah, God, please help this never happen to me. They heard Jesus' warning and they were cut to the heart. They, they repented. They turned away from sin. They turned to him for forgiveness and they said, Lord, help. I struggle with this. And half the time I don't even, I'm not even aware of it. But that's me. Help. And God forbid that we would, that we would think of sin lightly, right? That we would say, oh, it's not a big deal. That we would think it doesn't really cost much. That we would think we're better than others, that we're better even than other Christians. God forbid that we arrogantly despise him, that we arrogantly despise Jesus. Instead, thank God that he continues to come to us in his word. That we live in a, a country, a world, a city, a place where we can gather together around his word, where we can hear him say, be aware, watch out, listen, and change. Where we can hear not only the, the warning, but the promise. Because you understand, Jesus is that son. See, God sent his son, didn't he? And he sent his son not just to be a warning, not just to say one last time, hey, watch out. No, he sent his son to die. He was fully aware of what would happen. He was fully aware of the arrogance and the rejection, uh, and yet he sent him because he loves you 
because he wanted you to have hope. Because he didn't want to just warn you, you've done this and there's nothing. But he wanted to warn you, be aware of your spiritual arrogance, be aware of the danger, and instead, trust me. See, because that's really what arrogance is, right? Arrogance is reliance on me. Arrogance is looking at myself. It's thinking about me and me and me and me. And God says, I sent my son for you and you and you. I sent my son for all of the times that you fail and all of the times you were weak and all of the times you have struggled and failed and fallen. I sent my son so that you don't have to hide. You don't have to pretend like I didn't do that. But you can say, Lord, I've, I've sinned. Forgive me. And that's why God sent his son. To do that very thing. To win your forgiveness and to give you salvation. And that's why our last takeaway is that I need Jesus for salvation and for life. Because spiritual arrogance is a real danger. Some of you in here have been Christians since before you can remember. Some of you have been Christians for just a couple of years or even a couple of months. Some of you think your life looks pretty good on the outside and some of you are trying to make it look good. Some of you are trying to cover up scars and wounds. And so often we do it because of spiritual arrogance. And God says you don't need to. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened. And I will give you rest. Because I sent my son not just to warn you, but to save you. We need Jesus. So keep looking to him. As we head through this Lent season, and not just during Lent, but every day, hear his warning. Trust in him. Cling to him. Rely on him. And look to him for everything you need for life and salvation. Amen.